This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Belinda Alexandra, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm so happy to be here. We love chatting with you. I mean, I've uh, I <laughs> I think about you and that uh, podcast gig we did for ABC Radio. Remember that? Oh you yes, and I did that, that. Was, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, what a team! Uh, what a team! So we were, <laughs> who was the presenter? Who who was that? Oh, Miff Warhurst. Yes, that's, that's right. That's right. So for those of you that don't know or weren't listening on the day, Belinda and I were asked to go in and talk about our favourite podcast. <laughs> And Belinda's were cats. And what, what was it? What were your favourite three? Uh, along the I think lines it, was, of... it was Cats was one. Yeah. And the other one was uh, Tranquility Du Jour, How to Bring yes. Tranquility into Your Life, um, which I, I always need, more tranquility. Yeah. And um, I can't remember the, yeah, the no. other one yet now. Yeah. Whereas mine were the New York Times, the Daily, <laughs> <laughs> Ezra Klein. And the reason I'm bringing that up is often we get um, feedback on the podcast and people say to me, Cheryl, please don't talk politics all the time. So uh, rest assured, those of you that are listening, Belinda and I will not be talking about politics. No. (laughs) We're like that absolutely fabulous team. We're we're naughty together. So We are naughty together, but we're (laughs) polar opposites. Although as much as I don't like cats per se, I do love animals and I do enjoy your posts very much on Instagram. Oh, thank you. Okay, so for those that don't know her, Belinda has been published to wide acclaim around the world. She is the daughter of a Russian mother and an Australian father and has been an intrepid traveller since her youth. Well, I guess that's all on hold at the moment. Her love of other cultures is matched by her passion for her home country, Australia, where she is a volunteer rescuer and carer for the New South Wales Wildlife Information Rescue and Education Service, uh, commonly known as WIRES. And as an animal lover... And she is. I will most certainly vouch for that. Belinda is also the patron of the World League for the Protection of Animals. She's here today to talk to us about her new book, The Mystery Woman, uh, which comes out September 2, and we cannot, cannot, we haven't read it. I've read bits and pieces of it. Um, Love and adore that cover. Um, What book number is it? Oh, well, this is book number nine, so, so I can wow. hardly believe it uh, myself. Mm. In, in my fiction, it's number number nine. Yeah. Yeah, so I just sometimes just wonder how did I get to nine books because they're, they're big books. They take a lot of uh, research and very absorbing, but I'm very um, proud of this one. Um, yeah, and, and so as, you should be. Oh, thank you. As you know, it's a bit of a new direction it uh, is. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. So we met, you and I probably met when you were doing, remind me what you did for White, White, Ga- White Gardenia. Gardenia. That's, That's how right. long we've um, known. That, in fact, 
I was reflecting on that the other day, thinking about, gosh, I was so young then, like so yeah. green about life, and yet I thought I knew so much. <laughs> what book number was White Gardenia? That's number one. Number like, one. Number, number one published. Um, don't forget that I had a very un, uh, a novel that was liked by all the publishers, but was rejected by all the publishers that, yes. before that. So I do feel that I've earned my my stripes in constantly improving, constantly um, trying to grow as a, a writer. But I had, before I got published, I did have 10 years of rejection. Yeah. <laughs> too. yeah. Which is quite common. Got, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. Tell me your journey to writing because I know and, and interwine it with um, travel. Now, I know the story, but I want the listeners yeah. to hear the story because well, I love um, it. I think that I was probably born a writer because I was definitely the child that was always in trouble for staring out the window and and daydreaming. Um, But I had a mother that encouraged that. So I was very, very lucky. And two parents that were amazing storytellers. My mother would tell, you know, just keep my brothers and I in total awe. She was telling us her childhood stories of growing up in China. She was Russian, but she grew up in China. And then on the opposite side, I would have my father who would, you know, tell his funny stories about being a, a lifesaver on Bondi Beach. And How so she, did um, a Russian from China meet a fellow from Australia? The fellow from Australia was very handsome and yeah. the uh, <laughs> Russian lady was very clever, pretended she was drowning. And ah. <laughs> <laughs> so was she here on holidays? No, she migrated. She um, migrated. Yes, right. because okay. after the Chinese Communist Revolution, all yep. the foreigners had to get out of um, Shanghai. Yeah. And uh, she ended up in the Philippines on an island first. And then she ended up not really having much choice, but coming to Australia. So she did that whole migrant journey, which I know you've got in your background and I've got that in my background as well, which really makes for rich uh, storytelling. Definitely. So I have storytelling in my family. Yeah. But, um, you know, as I grew up, I wanted to travel. My mother wanted to stay home. She'd had enough of adventure. I wanted to travel and explore the world. And my friends would tell me that my emails were fascinating. <laughs> so, and they said, That's a good start. Yeah. They said, yeah. You, sh- you should be a writer. But of course, I think a lot of the time for a lot of creative people, we're told to get a real job and be realistic. And so I worked in publicity and public relations, but I finished off my undergraduate degree at the University of California. And the thing we've got to love about Californians is everyone's got a dream. Yeah. And they, my fellow students and teachers were like, but you got to go for your dream. You know, I do think, and we, you and I might have talked about this, I do think Americans have a different sensibility about that than Australians. Oh, yes. I Don't think they, they? Ha- they, they have that yeah. rugged individualism yeah. that has served them well. It's not serving them so well right now, but we're not getting no. into politics. We're not politics. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that rugged individualism and that idea of if you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah. In, in Australia, we've had a different, I don't think we've, you know, we've come from a convict past, which was very, how disheartening, like really starting from the bottom, we had a very harsh climate that we had to deal with. So I think we've, and also we've got our Anglo-Saxon backgrounds. So it's more like, uh, more more trying to be realistic. Although I think we've changed over time. I think we've become big dreamers and, and people of possibility as well in our mm-hmm. own ways, which is good. It's a positive thing. But it was really actually just being in that environment that gave me the determination of why not? Why don't I 
go for this bigger dream. But um, unlike the movies where you have this montage where you decide to do something and within two minutes of screen time, a whole house is is renovated (laughs) or a book is written, it actually, it took a lot of determination and a lot of holding on to that vision. It didn't happen overnight um, because I was rejected. Everything I wrote was rejected. Short stories, um, letters to the editor, a nonfiction book was um, rejected. and Was that and, about cats? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just guess but, that. But, you know, <laughs> we won't get off on that subject, but it, 20 years later, you know, that book is coming to fruition as well. It is, I have seen. So with um, my novel, uh, that was rejected by every publisher, but they gave me sort of uh, good feedback on it, but still it was very disheartening. Yeah. And I think the thing that helped me go... Uh, was I met another writer. See, I'd had a major rejection on a novel. I'd met another writer who'd had 20 rejections of novels before he was Mm. published. And I said, how did you keep going? And he said the rejection letters started getting longer. So (laughs) he said, I must have been like getting better. Yeah. And I think it's that determination that paid off because I did stick with it. And I'm really, here I am talking to you, Cheryl, I'm living the dream. You are, up to book (laughs) book nine in terms of fiction. I often think that writers and actors have a lot of resilience because I guess with actors it's auditions and they just keep going back for more. And do you know, I'm I'm not good at rejection. I, I would find that very challenging. And there's not an author that I have spoken to, and you know I've been in the business a long time, <laughs> yeah. who really just got their first book published. That just yeah. doesn't happen, does it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't give people lasting power. No. I, been, I remember having a conversation with someone that went to their school reunion and they said, why were all the pretty girls and the handsome boys why have they gone to seed and all the people that were wallflowers have blossomed into these amazing <laughs> true. people yeah. and we just had the discussion you can peak too early yeah. and sometimes um to have lasting power you do need to have some pressure on on you and I think that makes you yeah. you know that saying that diamonds are formed under pressure and I think mm. If you have things come too easily, there are the people that are the big bright stars and the new thing of the, the few, and then they disappear mm. because they don't have the resilience. Once they get rejection, they don't know how to handle it. Um, quite often, I, you know, I think sometimes having a difficult childhood is a gift. Mm, for mm. some people because they develop resilience. That's right. I agree. I want to also touch on the fact that it's also practice, isn't it? Yeah. You oh, know. yes, I, I get a lot of practice being yeah. <laughs> well, don't you? Because it is kind of like if, let's say, your first book was published, there was yeah. no practice behind that. No, there was no, no practice. Like, and I would have taken it for granted. I probably, because, yeah. you know, you're younger then and you think you haven't seen as much of life. So if things come to you easily, you tend to think, well, I'm the queen of the universe and everything I ever do will be gold. But even now, nine books later, I still deal with all sorts of uh, rejections. Um, When I get my structural edits back on my book and I think I've given everything I have to this book and the editor comes back with, you need to do this, you need to do this, this character needs to go and whatever. You can't be precious about that. You can't say, oh, I'm too delicate. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually what I do is I lie on the floor for (laughs) 
five minutes. Deep breaths, meditate. Just, <laughs> I've got nothing more to give. Yeah. And then I listen to the theme song from Rocky. Yeah. And <laughs> and I think- Dove, Dove LeMcTeen and talked to me about that. She ran this fantastic writing course for us on Facebook just recently. But one of the things she talked about was the rejection letter that, you yeah. know, the first paragraph is, oh, no, not the rejection letter, the first edit. Yeah. Right? yeah. She said the first paragraph, wow, we love this. This is fantastic. Yes. It's going in a great direction. And then to, I don't know how many pages, but 12 yeah. pages later change this do this do yes this. but we really do love it change yes. this do this rewrite that and I have a work it's yeah like, I have a really good relationship with my editors through HarperCollins and one of the things I always say is you don't need to give me that first paragraph no. <laughs> I'm, exper- I'm experienced enough to know yeah. that any novel is going to... In fact, I really love the editing process and I really respect and love working with my editors. So I know if they came back and said, this is wonderful, darling, I would actually be worried. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Their job is to go in hard because they are really the first critic and readers are going to come along. They're going to pay 30 bucks for your book. You want to make sure that you are giving them your utmost best, that well, the very best book you can. I think they are experienced and they are on your side. Yeah, Everybody absolutely. wants to make this book better. Yeah. I mean, which I think is a great privilege to have three or four people. Yeah. With you on and your so book. experienced. And I yeah. feel that. I really, yeah. really feel that and really appreciate it. But also I am, Strangely enough that I've fallen into being a writer because I am a collaborator. I love working with people. I love the Mm. feedback and the energy of other people. I've got the discipline to work on my own. I do have that. but I I want to talk about that discipline too. Sorry to interrupt, but it is your job. I mean, it's your full-time job. Uh, How do you approach that day-to-day? Well, um, when we say job, job kind of feels like something you do just to make a living, maybe more career is yeah. is more that I constantly see that I have to be developing myself. So I do get up in the morning. I don't get up with a sort of like, oh, I have to write today. Sometimes I have a bit of a tingly bit of nervousness, like how am I going to approach that scene? But I'm pretty well um, excited uh, about my work day, but I know that I have to constantly improve because mm. the moment that you start to get slack or the moment that you think, oh, I can do the same thing or regurgitate the same thing, the moment you're not pushing yourself to get better and better as a writer is the moment you're going to start losing your momentum and lo- losing the readers that I've worked so hard to build up. Yeah, there's two so, points there that I want to touch on, that excitement of getting yep. up. Um, this morning, I got a phone call from an author who we worked with last week, Richard. I'm going to say his name, Richard Anderson. He said, Cheryl, you know, I'm just calling you really quickly. I just want to thank you for all that you've done for me in my book. Yeah. Now, that doesn't happen that often, right? And we had a chat and he said, you know, that he felt that he was lucky to be able to write and to be published. And I said, you know, I have that, what you just described. When I get up in the morning, I'm very excited for my day. Yeah. And we're lucky we're in an, we're in industries or we're in a job or a profession or a career that we actually quite enjoy. Yeah. But I think almost for absolutely every person, like every person who has the job now has something to be grateful for. Mm. And I think that um, it's our habit. It's our habit and our rituals about what we do. Mm. Because I can't say that every day working on a book is exciting. Sometimes when I'm doing my research, I have to go, you know, just slog through some of the most boring books to get those 
little pieces of information that I'm going to use. Sometimes working on a scene that's just not working out is very, very frustrating. So um, excitement doesn't necessarily mean that every day is easy. There's challenges and there's challenges. Uh, you know, our marketplace is always changing. We've got a lot of competition with Netflix. We've got all sorts of things We're distracted. happening yeah, in, our, yeah. in our industry that make things um, challenging uh, for us. But you have to, I think, for me, and a lot of people are talking about this now, and maybe this is whole thing that's happening to us in our society will make us really appreciative and, and grateful for what um, we have. There's a lot of things in my life that I don't have that, that aren't working out, but I choose to focus on the things that I can really be mm. grateful for. And I have to say the thing that I've been doing the last couple of years that has really um, been so helpful with my creativity is I do actually take the time to meditate in the morning because I just say that clears you, it connects you. It really is like you get centered for creativity. So that is a habit. That's a habit and a ritual that I do. And it's a discipline as well, because especially at first, it's very difficult to quiet your mind. Mm. And for a long time, I thought I can't, I just can't do it, but I persisted with it. And I'm really glad that I did. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Talk to me about how what God did you how you finally got published. Firstly, what how what was the process, and yeah. two, how did you feel? Yeah, well, um, what happened with White Gardenia, that was really very much based on my family history, my mother's family history, which I spoke about earlier. And, you know, I was really fascinated about researching my family history and this story just started to come out of it. And I thought, this is the story I really want to run with. And I wrote the whole manuscript as part of a master's degree I was doing at the University of Technology. And I did get my master's just as I was getting a job to go and work in New York for a conference company. And it was on the plane. I read the, the manuscript that I'd written for my master's and I passed and everything. And they said, you can go and approach publishers with it. But I read it on the plane and I thought, I have to start this book all over again. This book is all wrong. And so, you know, that was a large amount of years of work and time and weekends working on that book. And I think I knew at that point I really was a writer because what mattered most was the story. It wasn't just getting out and getting published. It was the quality of the story that I was 
going to write. So I basically started again. And even though I was working for a conference company, I had very, very little time. But I would write on airplanes. I would write on the subway coming home from my job. I would write at, you know, four or five o'clock on those cold New York uh, mornings. Um, I had a little room that came off the kitchen. I was living with five British girls who'd be cooking while I'm <laughs> trying to write. And, yeah. and so, so it was tough, but I was really determined and what was amazing about that book was I wrote it never knowing whether it would get published because I'd already had so much rejection, but I was really invested in the story and passionate about the story. And that actually ended up being auctioned between wow. all the publishers that had rejected me <laughs> for my novel before. How did you get it to them? So were you like, oh, well, I've had another go. I mean, how do you reapproach the same people that have rejected you that many times? Well, I went, I went through an agent um, yeah. then, but I think... A public now see what this is what's really interesting because I got a two book deal in the end and I think the reason why I got a two book deal was those publishers knew that I'd written a novel before right. before the one that hadn't been published and that seemed to me to be a tremendous loss of time that I had this novel that was never published but in the end it served me really well because those publishers already knew she's written this book before, she can start a book and she can finish it and she can accomplish what she sets out to do, to write a book. So even though that book didn't get published, it was really like a calling card mm-hmm. of here is a serious disciplined mm-hmm. writer who hasn't just, she's not just a one-hit wonder, she's got the discipline. And, um, I mean, isn't that the case? Sometimes we think, oh, doing that was such a waste of time and I've wasted my life and why did that happen? But later on down the track, we realised just how much that served us in making us the person that we needed to be for our next step. Oh, I think I think almost everything we do in life serves us, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it, yeah. If, if you have an approach on life that, that, everything every step I mean you know I remember having a job that I really really hated yeah but the only way I got through it was to remind myself every day this going is going to get me a better job yeah it's going to get me to where I want to be and yeah. I persevered and persevered you know yeah um and I think you have that that is life isn't it yeah and just on a funny note of that, I think of all the crappy people that I've worked for in the past have mm. made great characters. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and if I never met them, I probably there wouldn't you. know how to write a bad villain yeah, or, yeah. you know, those kind of people. So I think that's a good way, like I, as well as waking up with enthusiasm for life, is just, especially as a writer, but I think just for any person, is to just see everything as your teacher and everything is going to serve you somehow, even if it seems. And I was talking about this with a TV writer that the funny thing that we have is sometimes we say, even when the biggest disaster is hitting our life and everything is smashing and falling apart and it's traumatic, there's a little voice inside of us that goes, This would make a great scene. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's everything like that. Doesn't yeah. it? There's always bits of story. Yeah, there's always bits and life ex- experience. And, you know, as I've got wiser and older, I just think that way that life sometimes breaks you not because it wants to destroy you but because it wants to build you in a new way Mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to see it that way and allow it allow for that process to 
to happen. We were talking um, before we started recording, we were talking about admiring and hearing and seeing what's around us. And I think that's important for all of us, but particularly important for um, authors who mainly you're working from home. Talk to me about the difference between you writing now and you writing in isolation because we are in COVID at the moment. Has that, does that affect the work of a writer? Possibly not so much a writer because, as you know, we're all a little insane and we spend a lot of our day talking to imaginary people and having conversations with imaginary people. My outlet, though, was probably going out dancing and being around people. That was probably my social thing. And I do miss the connection with people, but I've done my best with it. I have, you know, um, phone conversations with friends during the day. I'm doing a few classes on Zoom. So I'm having contact with classmates and so on. I'm really just doing my best with it. But um, probably as writers, we're practiced at staying home and being disciplined and using our time well. So even the time that I can't be social, I'm trying to use it in some productive way because I think we will get through this we will and how much better to look back on this time and say wow I studied this or I read this or I developed myself this way rather than I was hiding under the sheets waiting for it to Mm -hmm. all be over do you think it will affect stories in the future I think it has an ability to really sharpen all our senses I mean one of the things that is difficult for human beings to live with is uncertainty. In fact, I once read a book on uncertainty where they said most people would rather get a bad prognosis quickly than have to wait a month for a good prognosis. Is that right? And so, yeah, so our our ability to handle uncertainty is very difficult. So that is a huge challenge but the truth is life is uncertain yeah yeah that surprises me yeah anything could happen you could um the other day I was coming out of the library not watching where I went and I went for a massive fall I don't think I've fallen over since I was five years old you know and I went for a massive fall and I just thought I just wasn't paying attention for two seconds and I know someone who's had a life-changing fall you know a young person as well just had a life-changing fall and I thought your life can change in a second yeah. there you are reading the blurb on the back of the book <laughs> i know well and you shouldn't be reading and walking no no I I in, in high heels absolutely yeah. wrong no. thing to be doing wrong thing to do i i often wonder how it will um change uh, stories going forward what has heartened me through our business is we've seen a lot more people reading and engaging yeah. and they are really we're hearing stories particularly from victoria where people are you know book sales before the most recent lockdown, lockdown yeah. which was stage four, they were stockpiling to the extent that the the uh, bookstores were saying it was like Christmas. Yeah. And to me, that gives me great That's hope. the Victorians, though. We have oh, to, no, we have to we give a them? thumbs up yeah. to the cultured state. Yeah. But also, to <laughs> yes. me, it's like reading is giving us solace, I think, during yes. this time. Because there yep. is a lot of hardship out there. A lot of people yeah. have lost their work. Oh, yeah. Uh, their jobs, you know, a lot of people, you know, being housebound when you're finding life challenging anyway and then being yep. forced to be on your own has got to be very challenging yeah. and I it gives me great heart I guess that um that people have taken to reading yeah reading yeah. is a habit like anything else yeah and I think um you know I mean there's a lot of good drama on Netflix I won't criticize that there's a lot of no, really love it. really yeah. well stuff but in a way it's more passive 
For mm. us, whereas reading is more active, it involves mm. us more and involves our own imagination. And the good thing about reading, I think also, is it takes us out of isolation because whether you're reading a fictional story or whether you're reading nonfiction, you're basically getting an experience of life that is beyond yours. Mm. And that expands your mind to mm. go through because the writer is actually taking you, this is the thing that you miss when you watch things on screen, is really the inner world of the, the character or the actual real life person who's writing uh, their biography or whatever, is really you get to experience another human being's life. Mm. And sometimes that that creates a connection. I mean, my characters, my fictional characters, I get beautiful letters from people all the time telling me that my book got them through a difficult um, circumstance. One I remember in particular was a man that was taking the train from the South Coast to a hospital in Sydney to visit his wife who was having um, cancer therapy. And he said the book Sapphire Skies just reminded him of their early romance and all the reasons why he's loved her all these years oh, and it brought him great comfort. So I think stories are really powerful to are. us and other yeah. people's stories are really powerful to us. So tell me, The Mystery Woman, you said you've taken a different turn. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. Firstly, tell us what it's about and yeah. then why. Okay, well, The Mystery Woman is the story of Rebecca Wood, who is escaping a scandal in Sydney, a political scandal you might enjoy, Cheryl. (laughs) And she goes to a small um, south coast town. She takes the role of the postmistress in this very remote town where the inhabitants all seem to have some strange sort of secret going on. So I would describe it as the dark side of normal, this little town that seems so innocent and sweet, but what's going on behind those net curtains is is not so sweet. And so it is a new direction for me. It's away from the big sweeping historical saga to a much more contained uh, story. I've worked on the suspense on this story. I've uh, really... It's a bit of a thriller isn't it? Yeah, it is. I've yeah. really channeled Alfred Hitchcock, Agatha yeah. Christie, yeah, yeah, a bit of Daphne du Maurier to, um, into, I mean, I, it can be misleading when we say gothic because people think of vampires and so on. Oh, it's but not it's that. More, no, it's, no, it's that real classic mystery story with the um, setting that really yeah. uh, informs the story and the characters are being mysterious and a damsel that really has to save herself really yeah. in this sort of um, situation. So it was a great new direction for me. It's the kind of book I've always wanted to write. And why and now? I think you reach a certain level of maturity where you're confident in your own voice and you say, I'm, I'm ready and I'm brave enough to try something different. And I was very lucky that I have an agent who encouraged that and also a publisher that encouraged mm. that. And so they won't say, oh, you've got to keep delivering the same thing every time. I think there's a lot of things that my readers will appreciate in there, like the attention to detail, the setting, um, the development of characters, all the things that they've loved about my previous books are there. But the story is quite quite different. Well, I think they're going to love it. Belinda, always lovely to chat with you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. You take care. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. 
or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.